Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. So good. Well, we've been talking about having a thankful heart the last couple of weeks and living our lives with that attitude of gratitude. And I hope you've been challenged a little bit to, to maybe just stop what you're saying or stop a little bit what you're you're, you're feeling uh, in the moment to, to just try to get control of it and, and be thankful, right, for what we have. I know, I know uh, whenever um, I do a message like this or something that challenges me personally, it seems like I get tested in it for, let's just say I'm really glad this is the last week I'm being thankful, right? <laughs> no, I'm just tested in it. And I think we all get that way when we read the Word of God and we study the Word of God or we get in and we hear a message that challenges us then all of a sudden it's the testing time, right? And it's really easy, it's really a decision, being a, having a thankful heart is really a decision we must intentionally make. We have to decide to be thankful, right? That's a decision. That's not just something that, oh, if God wants me to feel thankful, I'll feel it. You decide to feel thankful. And let's be clear about what having a thankful heart actually is. It's being thankful for what you have instead of feeling shortchanged with what you don't have. It's having that ability which allows you to appreciate something or someone's value first and foremost instead of looking for all the negative. You could say it's seeing the glass half full and being thankful for it instead of seeing the glass half empty all the time. And it's, it's possessing uh, that, that, that feeling of thankfulness. When, when you do that, it will always push you into action, right? It's not just something, okay, I'm going to feel thankful now. There has to be an action to it. Thankfulness is a feeling for sure, but it moves us always to doing. We talked about those things. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we see these admonishments like this all throughout Scripture to be thankful. And again, it's, it's really not optional for the Christian. We are to live with thankful hearts. It's not something, well, I want to be a Christian, but I choose to be grumpy my whole life. If you're a grump all the time, maybe, and I'm not going to judge you, but just maybe the Word of God judges you a little bit, and maybe you should take a look at yourself and, and think, am I really a Christian? A Christian grump. Does that even make sense? And we come to church, we're grumpy all the time. We come to church, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> yeah, notify your face. <laughs> Be thankful, right? It's not an option. It's part of what God tells us we have to do. Psalms 118.1 says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I mean, oh. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I mean, he is good, right? For his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love for you and for me endures forever? That's something to be thankful for. Because I know who I am, and I know who I'm not sometimes, right? But his love, his steadfast love endures forever. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Man, I'm just repeating myself today, aren't I? 
Let's read it again. Give thanks in only the circumstances which you find yourself in that make you happy. That's in the book of hesitations. Don't go there. Give thanks in all circumstances. Good, bad, ugly, great, wonderful, terrible. In all circumstances, you serve a God that's bigger than it all anyway. So give thanks. For this is the will of God. What's the will of God? To give thanks in all circumstances. Well, what's the will of God for my life? To give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, this is pretty simple stuff, right? Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I thank God for this church. I thank God for those of you that aren't like me. And you're like, ditto. I thank God I'm not like you either. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful to thank God for each other, all the differences, the different strengths, the different talents, the different weaknesses, the, the different looks? Look around. God's pretty, he's pretty much the God of infinite variety, isn't he? We, all, we, we come in all shapes and sizes. We have all these different backgrounds. We have all these different upbringings. We have all these different talents and, 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 and personalities. I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ, for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And I, I can say that as a pastor. I can read this from my heart. That I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I can literally say that because the message of the gospel because of this missions giving church is going all over the world. It's incredible. See, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. We should be people who give thanks. And one of the things I hope that you've taken away from this series is that there are benefits to being thankful. And I've covered uh, two of them already. A thankful heart is an incubator for generosity, right? It just will help you become more generous. G and generosity changes the world. That's why it's a benefit. It changes the world. You can't live with a thankful heart and be a stingy person at the same time. The outflow of thankfulness is generosity. It's one of the benefits of being thankful. You'll just start becoming generous. You know why? Because when you're thankful for everything you have, that stuff doesn't mean as, I mean, it's, it's like you're not always thinking about what you don't have. It's just you're so thankful for what you do have that then you start giving it away, whatever that is. We also talked about how a thankful heart is a catalyst for worship. Talked about that last week. The Lord calls us to be worshipers. He seeks out those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Nurturing a thankful heart is a catalyst for that kind of worship, church. And when we worship that way, God shows up. It's another benefit to thankfulness. And I was so encouraged this week as I saw that text from Kaylee DeFino, right? DeFino, whatever the last name is. I say it different every time I read it. But Kaylee... I mean, just so thankful for God. She had her Bible. She was going in for the MRI, and, and they, they got a report back that was wonderful. You know? Amen. Oh, there she is. I walked over here looking for you, and you're right here. What an awesome thing. Thankful, in and out of season, and then God shows up. And this morning, I want to give you another benefit to being thankful. Not only is it the incubator for generosity, and not only is it the catalyst for worship, a thankful heart is the genesis 
of unity. Let that sink in a little bit. It's the genesis of unity. Last week we ended the service a little differently and I wasn't even expecting what happened to happen. And I, I love all of you online, but if you don't come here once in a while, you're, you're going to miss some things. Because there are some beautiful things that happened after we shut off the live stream. I asked you to express your thankfulness for one another by first telling your spouse or your children how thankful you are for each other. And then by telling those within your church family how thankful you are. And it, it kind of blew my mind. At first I saw some of you jump right into it, start loving on your, your spouse or your kids. I, I saw some of that. And then I... And then I saw some of you walk around and start loving on one another. Some of you walked across the room and to give somebody a hug over here that's in your church. And then, then I, saw, I saw some people standing just kind of like, I just had a big fight with my wife on the way to church today. And, I, I just, and they're both standing there like this. I saw this sever, in several couples. I saw this. I, I'm not singling anybody out. I'm not going to call your name. Don't be nervous. And some of this might be my imagination, but I saw it. And they're standing there, and then I, I watched for a long time. They didn't look at each other. They didn't say nothing. They just kind of felt awkward, right? I love making people feel awkward. <laughs> Especially if it's, if it's led of the Holy Spirit. You know, because the Holy Spirit will eventually get you, and then it won't be awkward, right? And I saw one of the members of that couple. I won't say if it was the guy or the girl, but look over. Actually, I will. It was a guy. He looked over. He finally got up enough courage. Tapped her. He said, I'm thankful for you. And she broke. Do you know how powerful being thankful for one another really is? How just those simple words can bring unity to a marriage, to a family, to a Thanksgiving dinner with all the rallies. Been there, done that, right? <laughs> It was like the barriers between them just broke down. And it wasn't just one couple, it was several. And I saw the tears and the hugs, and it was amazing. And I'm telling you guys, in this post-COVID social media-controlled culture we find ourselves living in, simply expressing a little bit of thankfulness for someone can break down the barriers of family strife, marital conflict, and even turmoil in our non-family relationships. A little bit of thankfulness goes a long way. Being intentional about thinking. I'm not talking about lying. Don't be thankful. Don't make something up. But if you think about it, you can be thankful for just about anybody. For something. Right? In the heat of an argument, when both parties are demanding that they're right, if someone in, in that fight would just stop and say, you know, before we continue this conversation, I need to tell you how thankful I am for you. That's hard, isn't it? How do you put the brakes on those kind of emotions, right? But if someone had enough courage and enough discipline to do that, how many know that the argument would go from high volume to low volume real quick? It's amazing what a little thankfulness will do. You know, people don't always agree. And I'm truly thankful I might not agree with you but I'm truly thankful for you and the value you bring to my life that could become some of the conversation I mean that just puts 
It just stops, and it stops wrong attitudes right there in their tracks. And you, you can't bless somebody. Here's the point. You can't bless somebody uh, with words that flow from a thankful heart and curse them at the same time. You, you just can't do it. You can't say one thing and then do another at the same time. I mean, I know there's something called multitasking, but, and I wasn't going to do this, but would you come up here, Isaiah? You're, you're, a good, you're a good man. And you're dressed so spiffy today with those socks. I am thankful for a young man who uh, doesn't care about what his socks look like. This thing's really bad today, isn't it? I don't know what's going on. Should I grab the handheld? All right, there we go. We'll turn this baby off. So what I want you to do is stick out your arm. Nice socks, right? Everybody say, nice socks. Yeah. He always, he's the sock man. He's always got nice socks. I want you to look at me, and I want you to say, I'm a winner. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm amazing. I'm bad. I want you to say it, okay? Do you want to say it in the mic? Do you, oh, I just say it. It doesn't have to be the same word, just words like that. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to push on your arm. I'm going to push it down, and I want you to resist. I want you to hold your arm up as I push down, and I want you to say all those things. So here we go. Ready? Start. I didn't say say that. I had to put my whole weight on your arm to get that down. Now I want you to get your other arm. Okay, I want you to say the opposite. I'm a loser. I'm weak. I'm lame. I'm a bum. You are so much buffier than I am. Okay, here we go. Ready? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm a loser. I didn't push any harder. I actually pushed way harder than this. Try it again. Start. It's like not, it's like butter. I've done that many times before. It works every single time. It's weird. You can't give him a hand. Nice socks. You can't be thankful out of your mouth for somebody in the same way. You can't be thankful and then curse them at the same time. You just can't do it. It doesn't work. You see, your mind does what your words are saying. Your words do what your mind is saying. So you got to put them together and do the same thing. You, you understand what I'm saying? Nod your head if you know what, I'm, what I mean by that. That might be a little confusing, but they connect that way. You, 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 can't, you, you just can't have blessing and cursings coming out your mouth at the exact same time. It doesn't work. And, and if you do that, nothing will work for you. We have to be thankful. I, I want you to understand how important unity is. Many of you have heard me teach on the subject, and I probably... Uh, you probably remember that unity, I always say, is not uniformity. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Unity, not uniformity. Okay, I want you to think about this a minute. Unity is more about agreement. Uniformity is about sameness. Unity can agree to disagree when the subject matter is less significant. Uniformity says that all must think exactly alike. So unity between the individuals mean that they can butt heads about minor things and still work together in reference to the major things. Good marriages operate with unity all the time. Is there anybody in here who has never had any kind of a disagreement, argument, a little bit of headbutt with their spouse? Anybody? I didn't think so. 
you did raise your hand, I would invite you to the altar. There is forgiveness for liars, okay? <laughs> so just, just saying. Good marriages operate with unity. There are times when you, you, you must agree to disagree. And hopefully that's not too often, but there's times that you have to. But agreement on the main things must remain intact in order for there to be true unity. So when I say unity is about agreement, it doesn't mean that you can't disagree. You just have to have enough love and, 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 and wonderful thankfulness in your heart for the other person that you can agree to disagree on the things that don't matter that much. Now follow me here because I'm not talking about major things. I mean, major things are major things, right? You've you got to agree on those. Uniformity in a marriage would mean that one of the individuals basically ceases to exist, right? You don't get a say because every, you must be exactly like me. You don't get a voice because you must be exactly like me and think exactly like I do. Tell that to your wife tonight, guys, and see how it goes over. You cease to exist. Wives, tell that to your husband. See how that goes over. You have to believe exactly like I do. Politically speaking, we live in a nation that is supposed to be united, the United States of America, right? Unified, united, because we are exactly alike. But because we are different and can still agree about freedom, that's where that word unity and united come into play. Uniformity would be sameness, and the only way you can achieve that within a nation is to use force. Are you following my thinking here? Sameness, sameness or uniformity would be like a totalitarian or socialistic or communistic governmental system. And none of us want that. We want freedom. But within freedom, there has to be the ability to agree about the major things, right? And disagree and, and still agree to disagree. Are you following me? I know it's a little confusing. About the things that maybe aren't so major. That's why our country's falling apart. Everybody is screaming, you gotta be just like me. Now we don't waffle on the truth, I'm not saying that, because the major is the major, right? We, we, we know what the major thing is, but, but here's the deal. You can't govern morality. You can't force people into being just like you because you're a Christian and a Bible-believing person. But if you give people freedom and they feel free and then the church does its job and rises up in anointed power and witnesses and goes forth with signs and wonders following those that believe, some of those people will be brought into the fold. But if you want to govern, if you want to try to force it, it isn't going to happen. It'll just be war. And you see that on both sides in some cases, on the extreme sides, right? Are you mad at me yet? No, good. Sameness and agreement they're so close to one another, and yet they're completely opposite. Jesus prayed on the very night that he was betrayed. In John 17, 11, he said this, I am no longer going to be in the world. He's talking to God, the Father. And yet they themselves are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are. It's one of the last prayers of Jesus, that his church, that his followers would be one, unity, unified. John 17, 20, 20 uh, through 23 says this, John 17, 20 through 23. 
I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. He says it again. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you, are, that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one. He says it a lot. Just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and you love me just as you, and, and you love them just as you love me. He prayed that his followers would be unified, not that they would be the same, but that because of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding them in all of their differences with all their, their, their specific personalities, with all their different backgrounds and upbringings, even their differing gifts, that they could come into agreement about the things that mattered most, that they would be unified, that they would be one. Unity is about laying down your right to always be right. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Who loves to be wrong? Who loves to even be right, and yet you don't get to really tell anybody you're right? I mean, those are hard things. It's about laying your rights, your rights down to always be right, not about the major things that we know are true, okay? but laying down our right to be right in the things that are more minor or are subject to a differing viewpoint. Let me say it this way, within the Christian faith, iron will never sharpen iron when everybody is exactly the same and believes exactly the same thing on every minute detail of doctrine. Iron sharpens iron when, and, and, when, when both become, and, and, and both become better when there's a difference in opinion followed by a, a a coming agreement or at least an acknowledgement of the other idea thought or point of view and understand the word of God is black and white I, and I know that truth is absolute I, I get all that but until we can read it without the filter of our own human experience we will never have the corner market on the entirety of truth within the word of God no individual will that's why I'm excited for when Jesus sits on the throne and we can learn and we can find out every area we were a little bit off in or we were a lot off in or that we were dead on in our thinking and again there are those truths that are completely non-negotiable and are obviously true that they aren't up for discussion they're just fact jesus died on the cross for your sins that's a non-negotiable right He's the only way to heaven. That's a non-negotiable. Jesus is the Son of God. It's an absolutely non-negotiable fact. But a robust, hearty, even passionate discussion regarding whether Jesus will come back pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation, that can be a healthy discussion. I know what I believe, but it's not such a major to me that I will end relationships over it. I have brothers in Christ that believe with every fiber of their being that we are not going to be raptured until we see at least half of the tribulation. I don't hate them for that. If they want to stay for half of it, that's their decision. I'm going with Jesus pre-tribulation. And I would tell them that and we would have a good laugh. 
And this is just one example of something where, where the church has become disunified over things that, that nobody can say absolutely 100% sure. They just can't. And what was Jesus' prayer? That they would be one. It's like the only unanswered prayer of Jesus thus far. That they would be one. Now that prayer will be answered, don't get me wrong. Because there's a time coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord and all truth will be revealed. That's going to be an awesome day. Unity comes to that place of agreement. And yes, sometimes that means agreeing to disagree over matters that aren't major. And again, there's this movement within our culture. It's so damaging. And it really seems to have gripped the whole nation. It says, pick a side. And, and by the way, both sides are extreme. Pick a side and fight. Be politically rational, be it politically rational or relationally or spiritually. Fight, fight, fight. Everybody's got to get in a fight all the time. You see it all over the place. You see it on social media. You see it at the dinner table. You see it in marriages. You see it in churches. We just got to fight about everything. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up and fight for what's right. I'm just saying you'd be, you'd be wise to be prayed up to know what the hills worth dying on really are. What fights are you willing to cash in all your relationships for? And you'd better be prayed up enough to know that you're on the right side of that particular issue. Mr. or Mrs. know everything and have a corner market on the absolute truth. Unity is about agreeing on the majors and being willing to seek the Lord on those things that are less major. Those things that require us to find the balance between two truths. Those are exactly why we need one another. That's why I'm thankful for you. I need you. You know why? You make me balanced. Some of you are more Baptisty than, than I am. You're a little Bapticostal, and that's cool. Some of you are a little more liturgical. I'm all right with that. Oh, I grew up that way. Liturgical. You know, there's a liturgy in church. It's read every Sunday. Some of you are a little more swing from the chandelier, kind of wild Pentecostal charismaniacs um, more than I am. Did I say maniacs? I meant charismatics. I'm sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip. Maybe you're a little bit that way more than me. That's okay. You put us all together. We're the body of Christ in this local setting. And there's a big C church too. I'm, I'm, I, could even, I could get really into that. But in this little corner of, of, of the body of Christ, in this local assembly, in this local body of believers, we're very different. And it's a good thing. And we could get in all sorts of arguments about our differences. Or we could just say, you know what? Your charismaticness and your Baptistness, if that a word, I don't think either one of those are a word, they bring us all into more of a balance. And that can be a wonderful thing. I'm not saying negotiate the absolute truths things, the, the, the big majors. I'm not saying that. But there's a whole lot of stuff that you really think you know and you really don't know. <laughs> Did I just say that out loud? That's why Paul said, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Let's go get people saved. You know, all the details will be found out later. Not saying that we shouldn't study and look for those details and press each other and push each other for those. I think that's great. As long as there's unity. And not a demand for sameness. 
Where am I? Unity in a marriage is about realizing that you will never be like your spouse. Turn to your spouse and say, thank God I'm not like you. I thank God I'm not like you. <laughs> I mean, I, I, just, I, I know I'm hammering this point hard, but I, I just want you to get it. You are the opposite sex. How can you ever be the same? Right? And God has wired you differently in order that you both would be more complete. When you lay down your dictatorial attitude over your spouse that you might think you, you have the right to, you'll realize that the differences in how they see things or how they might feel emotionally about things are actually a benefit to you in making you a more well-rounded, balanced individual. And if you're single in here, I'm not picking on you saying you're not a balanced individual. You just got to find your balance from other, other ways, right? You don't have a spouse living with you reminding you that you're not balanced every waking moment of your life. <laughs> not verbally, just because they're amazing. I am such a better person than I was before I met Alyssa. And yesterday was our 28th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it was awesome. But she has made me so much better. And just a totally different person than me. That's unity. That, that's what I'm talking about. You're wired different. You're just different. You see things differently, even emotionally. Th this is why this whole agenda for, for the proper pronouns and, and same sex um, uh, or, or gender, transgender, all this stuff, okay? I, I'm not even going to get into it. That's why it's so damaging, though, because it wants to put everybody on a level playing field, right? And, and that's sameness. Don't make me come down there, Kelly. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? That, that, that promotes uniformity. Let's all be the exact same, then it will be fair. Well, let me tell you something. Life ain't fair. You are who God created you to be. You should rejoice in that. And then you should walk in it and be confident, knowing that he loves you with an everlasting love. And let other people in the body of Christ rub those rough edges off of you and balance you out a little bit. That's a good thing. That's what unity is all about. Unity is such a benefit to us. And, and in getting back to thankfulness, is which I'm preaching on, not unity, let me say it. A thankful heart is the genesis to start that kind of unity within your life. To nurture a heart of thankfulness within ourselves for one another will begin that process of achieving unity in our relationships, family relationships as well as non-family relationships. If there is someone that you just don't like all that much in this place, that's okay, right? Because we don't have to like everybody, we just have to love them, right? But love them enough to be thankful for them and who they are and love yourself enough to be comfortable in your own skin. You're not at odds with someone who sits in this church. And by the way, there's not a lot of problems going on in this church. That's not why I'm preaching this. I don't see a lot of disunity in this place, and that's why God is doing some great things. But I like pouring gasoline on fires, right? And there's a fire here, and let's just pour gasoline on the unity we have, and let's make it all the better. That's the point. A thankful heart is the genesis of unity. If you can love someone enough to be thankful 
for them specifically who they are. Maybe if someone just rubs you the wrong way in church or in your family, you know, aunt so-and-so or everybody's got one, right? You start thanking God for that person and what they do bring as far as value. And don't get me wrong, sometimes you got to put up boundaries, and I get that too. But you start thanking God for that person, watch it change. There's power in thankfulness. Unity can flow from thankfulness. The kind of unity that God wants in his church. The kind of unity that he prayed for in one of his last prayers here on earth. And he told God three different times in that prayer that they might be one. Only God, if they could experience what it's like to be one, like you and I are one. If they could only feel that and experience that and know that kind of unity. What would that do in this world? I think there's a scripture that says something about they will know we are Christians by our love. And by the way, if you look at it in context, that's our love for one another, not our love for the world. Second Thessalonians 1.3 says, we ought to always or we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting. This is Paul talking to the church at Thessalonica. Because your faith is increasing abundantly and the love of each and every one of you toward one another grows even greater. And I want to read these words a little differently. Put my own little thing in there. We will always strive to, th to give thanks to God for all of you in the church there. I believe that's kind of what he was saying. It's only fitting because even though none of you are perfect and we all have little bumps in the road of our relationship with one another, I recognize that your faith is increasing. I've even noticed that your love for each other is growing more and more in spite of the fact that you are all human and can rub each other the wrong way from time to time. I mean, that's just putting a little human in that, right? You know they were human too. In the book of Psalms, there's a chapter... Uh, with, that's three verses long, and I've preached it before, and I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to bring it up again. I, I thought, oh, they've heard this many times, but I'm going to do it again because it's just so important to me. Behold, it's Psalms 133, 1 through 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter, three big verses. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell or to live together in unity. In unity. How, how good and pleasant it is. Verse 2, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, as on Aaron's beard, the oil which ran down upon the edges of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded the blessing there, life forevermore. That's the whole chapter. Unity is like the precious oil on the head, beard, and robes of Aaron. And church, that's a picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They poured oil over Aaron's head when they anointed him as priest. And what this scripture is saying is unity is like the anointing being poured on my people. Unity brings the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he says it's like, it's like the dew falling from Mount Hermon, which is a picture of rich soil and perfect conditions to have a great harvest. It's a picture of fruit. Church, unity is worth fighting for. The anointing, we can't do anything without it. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go forth and proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's the anointing to literally build his kingdom until he returns. You've got to have the anointing to do that. And 
productive, bountiful harvest. That's the kind of fruit we so desire in these last days, isn't it? That's what unity brings us. The Lord says that in that place where he finds unity amongst his people, he will command the blessings there. I don't know, but I would love this church to be the place where God commands the blessing. I mean, that sounds pretty good. I want my home to be a place where God commands the blessing. I want Indianola to be a place where God commands the blessing. I've got to tell you, there's some unity flowing in this community between some of the evangelical churches that I have never seen in a community before, personally. One of the churches in town just gave our clinic $5,000. That don't happen, but it did. Yeah. I won't say who they are, but it was ICC. We just, the board just decided to give another work in town. It's a work from Freedom Fellowship and uh, Jeff Rabe's church. They have a community center. They took over the Quaker church and it's, the, uh, it's, it's called the Lighthouse. We're giving $100 a month out of our missions fund to the Lighthouse in this community because they feed people. They feed over 80 people a week. They have some like, uh, uh, oh, what are the classes? Celebrate Recovery stuff going on there. They have Bible study going on there for people who would not normally ever step into a church, and I think it's wonderful. I think Sean plays their guitar a little bit on Thursday nights. Patrick plays drums there on Thursday nights. It's wonderful. Why wouldn't we want to be a part of that? Because they don't, have, they don't believe everything that we believe. Are we better than them? Oh, we're too good for that. We're not going to give them. We give them 100 bucks a month. It's just, it's amazing the camaraderie. And it all started with prayer. We pray together on the first Thursday of every month. It's wonderful, exhilarating unity. We just had uh, in here, and I don't know, if, did, did I talk about this already to the church? I don't know if I have. But I, I know that uh, you heard about it. We had four youth groups come together in this community in here, and they had a youth praise and worship night. And there's 300 kids from our town worshiping God on a Wednesday night here from four different denominations, and some of them not even from any denomination. That's awesome. That kind of unity is rare. So when, when we're talking about unity, it's the place where God commands the blessing. What if Indianola becomes that place? What if this church becomes that place? What if your home becomes that place? What if everywhere you go, because you're such a unifier instead of a, a disunifier wherever you go, what if everywhere you went, God was commanding the blessing before you? You'd be that person who we talked about in a message a long time ago, a series called Entourage, where signs and wonders follow those that believe. That's the kind of person you'd be. Signs and wonders would follow you wherever you went. Unifiers. That's where the Lord commands his blessing. Possessing thankful hearts for one another. Thanking God for your spouse and your family. Thanking God for your church family and Christian friends. Thanking God for other churches in the community. Thanking God for those relationships that move you closer to him. That's the genesis of unity between you and God's people. That's the genesis for all of his people to come together and do something amazing. You can't be full of disdain for one another and simultaneously be thankful for one another. Unity will not flow. And by the way, neither will the commanded blessing of God. The devil's been very active in trying to disunify the church ever since its beginnings. But I think in the last days, it seems to be a lot more focused on really causing disunity. I think there's a, there must be some kind of correlation 
There's got to be between Jesus' last prayer and this being the last days. That was the last part of the last age, right? We're in the, we're in the church age now. But the last, the last, one of the last prayers of Jesus, that they might be one. And what is, as we, as we rapidly approach the end of this age, the church age, what is happening? Satan is doing everything he can to disunify not only local churches, but churches in the same community, denominations. He's doing everything he can to cause that kind of disunity. He doesn't want his body to be one. I believe that we're going to see the anointing and harvest like never before sweep across our world, but it's going to be in pockets. Where brothers and sisters in Christ come together and walk in unified agreement about those things that matter most, that's where you'll find the commanded blessing of God. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I don't believe it's far off. But I want to be those, one of those brothers walking in agreement, walking together in unity with my family, immediate and extended church family. And I want to be a part of all that and not be sitting off somewhere as a social media keyboard warrior airing my grievances about everything because I, I don't know how to unify. It can't happen until we decide unity is more important than our own pride. Agreement is essential. Even if we have to agree to disagree, agreement on the things we can agree on, essential. I know what place hath light with darkness. I'm not talking about the dark stuff. I'm talking about the majors, right? You understand that, right? I don't want any bad emails about this because you didn't get what I was saying. We gotta decide that unity is more important than our own pride. And it all starts with a thankful heart, thankful for one another, verbally as well as with nonverbal actions that show our thankfulness for each other. So Jesus gave us a perfect exercise for this. And uh, to show and remind us that uh, we are one body in him. Sure, we make up many parts, right? But we are one body. Unified for the purpose of being more complete. And on the same night that he prayed that high priestly prayer for all of us to be one, three different times, he instituted the ordinance of communion. Look at Luke 22, 14 through 19, first part of that verse, 19a, we'll call it. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, there it is, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he did it again. I, I want you to understand something. This was not, this was not, this, Jesus was not here, okay? He was not giving some flippant, quick thanks for the meal or for the ordinance he was instituting. He wasn't saying, yeah, let's just have a little, hey, thank you, God, for this. Let's eat it now. This was Jesus literally thanking God for the bread and the wine, which he knew was a picture of his own body being broken and his own blood being spilt. 
for you and for I. I read that this week. It was in Tuesday morning prayer, and I, I just almost couldn't even speak for a while because it overwhelmed me that he was giving thanks for his own body being crushed. We talk about Jesus crying out from the Father or to the Father from the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Uh, and, and most of us have meditated on that and, and, and it, it, it shakes the, the most skeptical of skeptics, right? How can anybody do that? But have we ever stopped and considered that Jesus in giving us the practice of communion was thanking God for what he was about to do? He was thanking God for sacrificing him for all of those that would call upon the name of the Lord. Luke 22, 14, 19, B and on, he said, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. And you're familiar with this scripture with communion. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. It's Paul speaking here. That the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He gave his whole body up for us. A total sacrifice. This is what unifies the church. It's what unifies us. We can all have our differing opinions about the little stuff, but at the end of the day, we have all been purchased by the same act of love. We have been all recipients of the blessing that has come to us because of the body, his body being crushed for our sins. It's what unifies us. It's the banner we come underneath, church. We're the same in that sense. We can agree in that sense, right? Because we come underneath that precious gift of his blood, of his body being crushed, the cup, the wine, his shed blood reminds us of the new covenant we are in. And church, there's a responsibility that we have to one another as we enjoy this new covenant. You're going to accept Christ, you're going to ask him into your heart, and you're going to live for him, right? We've all done that. Almost everybody in here has, and if you haven't, you need to. But you've accepted Christ and this wonderful gift that we have, and you're saved, and your, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're going to heaven. But there's a responsibility that comes with that, and there's a responsibility to one another that you have in the new covenant. We give up our rights to be nasty to one another when we enter that new covenant of his blood. There is a cry for unity, even in this. When Jesus was going through this, it, it just screams unity in his body, in his church. There's this like, like voice saying, if you'll just commit yourselves to one another in love, and I know it doesn't say that verbatim, but it's in there. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32, it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way should be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, But a person must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are, are, of you are asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, 
we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So there's unity in that. It brings about unity. When we properly examine ourselves as a church body before we take communion, when we all remember our own sin and set it up next to a perfect holy God, we are all positioning ourselves in the same way. We are putting ourselves at the same level, all on the same level, right? There's nobody better than anybody else when we're taking communion. Together with one action, we realize that we are all just sinners who have been saved by grace. It's a level playing field. We didn't earn it. We never could. We just all became equal recipients of his amazing gift when we accepted him into our lives. Understanding that, knowing you're not better than someone, how can that not produce unity? I mean, becoming thankful for one another. I'm so glad that that person has been redeemed. I'm so glad that that person has been saved. I'm so glad that that person has been delivered. And you start thanking God for what he's doing in other people's lives, and all of a sudden, unity just flows. Thankfulness is the genesis of unity in that way, for sure. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three 33-34, last verse I'm going to read. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, he's talking about communion here, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, have him eat at home. This isn't about a meal together. This is communion. This is different. So that you don't come together for judgment. You notice how in communion we always take it all together? We take the bread together. We take the wine together. Why do we do that? Because it's about unity in the body. No one's better. No one gets a better place at the table. You know what happened at the Last Supper right after this? An argument broke out of who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Doesn't that look just like the church today? Disunified. Something about communion that just levels the playing field for all of us. And it makes none of us better than anybody else. I love that about communion. It's a unifying thing. This whole ordinance screams unity. Unity with him through the new covenant. Unity with him because we are all about, all about being a part of one body, the body of Christ. Unity because we examine ourselves. Unity because we take it together. It's all unity, unity, unity. So this morning, I just want, in, in silence, I want to I examine. Take some time and let you talk to God. Just for a second, there'll be no music played. Just in silence for just a couple moments. I'm not going to belabor it but just begin to examine yourself. Where have I sinned? Where have I fallen short? Where have I screwed up a bit? Where, where do I need to apply the blood of Jesus at in my life?
Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know exactly our thoughts, our words, our deeds. And Lord Jesus, right now, I ask you would forgive us of all of our sins. We take those sins and we drop at the foot of your cross, God, because we know you paid for those sins. And we say to you, Lord, we don't want to continue living in that sin. We don't want to try to celebrate it. We don't want others to, 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 to try to, we don't want to try to get others to accept it as if it's not sin. But Lord, we just lay it at your feet. And God, we're overwhelmed today that you could save such a sinner as I, as all of us. We have this unleavened bread in our hand. We know, God, that you gave thanks for it, and we give thanks for it. We know, God, that you knew exactly what that meant. It meant the death of your son, the crushing of his body. We thank you for that crushing, God, but it's, it's, it's an overwhelming thing to think about that you thanked your own father for that. And we partake of it now together in unity, God knowing and remembering what you did for us. Let's take it together. God, we take this cup right now and we thank you for it. We thank you, God, that you were crushed and your blood was spilt, that we were in that cup, that we were on your mind the whole time. God, that you thought it, all of us important enough to die that kind of death, that substitutionary death in our place. Lord, you thanked God, when you instituted communion, you thanked him for the blood that you were about to spill because you knew the power in it. God, I pray that we would understand more fully the power that's in this cup, the power that's in your blood. Reveal it to us, God. Lord, we know that it forgives and washes us white as snow. We know it heals and makes us whole. We know, God, that in this blood, there is life and life everlasting. So Lord, we thank you for it as we take it together in unity today. Praise you, Jesus. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.